after I got commissioned, uh, two weeks later, I had to go get a signature from my commander. Now, this is the same commander who propositioned me not that long ago, and I turned him down. And when I went to go get my signature to go to a school called Bolick, and it's required for officers, uh, officer basic training, uh, he stated to me that he can't sign off and that I'm under investigation, but he can't tell me why. Welcome to the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members transition from military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including nightmares, rage, and isolation. Participants in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges. Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org and donations are always welcome at the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org slash donate. Thank you for embarking on this educational journey with the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Here's today's segment. Welcome to another educational edition of Stigma-Free Vet Zone from our studio here overlooking the Milwaukee River in downtown West Bend. Today, we are going to stay right here in the studio and welcome to our studio, our guest, Dawn Strobel. Dawn is a Wisconsin native growing up in Milwaukee and Cedarburg. She has three beautiful kids, 14, 9, and 4 years old, along with a beautiful wife. Dawn served in the U.S. Army during her first career for six years with one deployment in 2005 before being discharged for Don't Ask, Don't Tell. She is now on her second career, almost two years in. Dawn is a Pisces, a Buddhist, a healer, has played rugby for 10 years, and serves on the board or volunteers on three nonprofit veteran groups in the Milwaukee area. So let's go and say how excited we are to welcome to our show, uh, Dawn Strobel. Welcome, Dawn. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's oh, an honor. You know, it's an honor to have you. We're going to let out a secret that we've been sitting here talking for about an hour, an hour and a half because it's been so interesting and so educational and so much fun uh, and so honest. So let, let's get right to it, and, uh, which we should have done an hour and a half ago. <laughs> and tell us where Dawn's from. A little bit about your background as a child. Yeah, so I'm a Wisconsin native. However, I've moved around to a lot of different states. Uh, and explored a lot of different countries. I have an older sister and an older brother. They also uh, deal with a lot of the effects of having a father who is a Vietnam veteran uh, and suffering from the war. Uh, My parents got a divorce when I was really young, and I just thought that was a normal thing. Uh, But I didn't get to see my dad very often. He moved far away, and uh, dealing with his own demons inside, uh, he didn't come to see his kids very often. 
and instead hid away in his own isolation with alcohol, as I'm sure many can relate to. Wow, interesting. So, so as a girl, child, did you have play sports, have any musical instruments, uh, have a dog, a cat, a fishbowl, or any of those? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, I had a mom and a stepdad, and they weren't very, uh, I guess, tuned into our lives. We weren't allowed to have a lot of pets. And I did play a lot of sports uh, when I was allowed to. I wish I would have had more opportunities as a kid, but that's another story for another podcast, another day. Sure. Uh, my mom, still, even though she was remarried, was more like a single mom and was very angry and bitter that my dad had left her with two kids and uh, no help. And my stepdad wasn't much help either. So, you know, that kind of started the foundation of how I viewed and see the saw the world. I would think so, absolutely. So you really come from early early emotional stress or traumas. I, I, don't, I don't like the word trauma in particular because it's overused, but a lot of, a lot of uh, stress from a very young age. Yes, yes. So, uh, but when I was younger, I, I didn't know it. Yeah. It just was the, my normal. You thought everybody was like that. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's what the average family was. Right. Yeah, that's a shock when you find out that's not true. So now you get to the point uh, where the military is looking good for some reason. Uh, what is that? And how did you make your decision? And what were your expectations? Yeah, so just having a dad uh, who was a Marine and served two tours in Vietnam as a young boy. Um, he always put the seed in my head that I should join the military and it would be good for me and I'll get discipline and great experience. Um, and he really wanted me to join the Marines, but after hearing all his stories and how rough it was, uh, I mean, I wasn't the first to sign up and say, you know, beat the crap out of me and starve me for days. Um, so he scared you out of it. <laughs> yes. So, and I also didn't really have any direction. I didn't have, any adults to look up to or to help me foster my future or even gave me the idea that I'd have a future. So the idea of joining the Air Force, which I wish I would have done, wasn't even an option. I had friends who had joined the Army, and they were, you know, they were like, oh, yeah, it's not, it's not as bad as the Marines, but it's better than the Air Force. It's kind of in between. Utterly really tough. Like right. Yeah. Um, and, the, you know, they'll still appreciate you for your brains not just your muscles. So that's how I came to join the Army. What year I, was that about, Dawn? 2000, 2001, so just before it? 9-11. Just before 9-11. Yeah. Okay. So you joined the Army, and your expectations are to, did they give you an MOS or a um, job? Or well, my expectation, I must say, is as soon as I told my dad I was going to join the Army, he was very excited and very happy for me. And then he's like, oh, but it's the Army, not the Marines. <laughs> yeah. um, and my expectation was, I know it's going to be tough. I know that they're not allowed to be as abusive as they were during my dad's time, that things have gotten a little better. So I, I was expecting it to be rougher than it actually was, uh, physically anyways. Uh, emotionally and mentally, it was still pretty tough. And spiritually, that just didn't exist. Spiritually didn't exist. No. Yeah. But you, you, you were expecting the, the physically tough, the training, the, you know, the push-ups, the, the yes. early mornings, the yelling, the drill sergeant, all of those sorts of things. I mean, nobody can really actually prepare you for the real thing. No. 
they can talk about it and tell you stories, but you can't prepare yourself in any way for what really comes. Um, And even though it was after years after my dad had been in, I mean, it was, it was, things happened behind the scenes that weren't supposed to, you know what I mean? So it was still tough physically. What, what, what did your mom and your stepfather think about this and, and your, your other siblings about you going in? And, and when you did actually enter the military, were they there to cheer you on or, or were they happy for you, proud, or, or were they still not, not really participating in your life? Um, unfortunately, they weren't really participating in my life. I do know my mom and my sister said they were proud of me, um, but that, that, was, that was it. That was it. See you yeah, later. They yeah, never, they never came to see me swear in. I, I must say, though, I'm thankful that and proud that my mom did come down after my basic training to come celebrate with me. For which graduation. I never thought, for graduation. So that was pretty big for me. I think it's probably the biggest thing she's ever done for me <laughs> in my entire life. Wow. So. But, but very important at the time, I would yes. think. Yeah. Yes. I would think. And I think for my mom's aspect, she was scared because she knew what she went through with my dad. And she was afraid that that would happen to me. And not knowing what it's really like being in the military, you know, you fear for your child. I was Go, going to say. Going through all that trauma. Yeah, from, from what I've experienced in speaking with so many veterans, and of course my mom uh, herself, mothers are just afraid when they're when their child enters the military because there, of course, their imagination goes to all the, the things that can go wrong, especially the, the loss of a child in the military. Right. And even though I wasn't really close with her and she really, you know, didn't want kids in the first place, but she said it was expected of her. So that's why my <laughs> sister and I came about. Um, There's a good, how do you do? <laughs> yes. Yes. So I'm not laughing at no, you. No, it's fine. I, know, I, I don't, I don't take yeah, any offense no, to anything. No, yeah, it's, I laugh about it now anyway because I'm like, which wow. Which is what we were just Especially, talking about. Yes. Do we laugh things off? That we laugh it. things off. So yeah. being as a mom, I still can't believe that, you know, that's what her reaction was right. or why I was here. But um, I do appreciate her showing up for that. So, I mean, my expectations in the military, I knew that there was discipline and that you're going to be told what to do and you do it. Otherwise, there's consequences. Sounds like typical life. Right. Um, what was your MOS on your, on your, this first entry into the military? Right. It was a 96 Bravo, which is an intelligence analyst. So not knowing anything about the military, um, I actually went and took my ASFAB uh, hungover. And ASFAB is? And ASFAB is the test you have to take at MEPS before you join the military to see where you're at academically, to see what jobs you qualify for. Right. I guess I didn't really take it super serious because uh, I went out the night before and partied. <laughs> And, uh, but I still scored pretty well, and my friend set me up with a recruiter who said he's never had anybody who scored that high, so he's not real sure what jobs I can take, and he's going to look into it. He wasn't a very good recruiter, by the way. <laughs> Imagine if you were sober. <laughs> yeah, right? But, yeah, so he presented me with some jobs, and I was like, mm, okay, well, I don't want to be up in the air because I'll feel more comfortable if anything happens, uh, my own two feet to get me out of the situation. Uh, so I ended up being an intel analyst. Wow. So let me, let me just take one step back, Don. It's not that you weren't sober. You were hungover. So the not sober was the night before you. So it, right. Right, right. Just be Very, clear on that. Yeah. Yes. Right. Correct. So you went into intelligence. And take us up to the, the, the point that you wanted to talk most about, which was the... Um, don't ask, don't tell. Right. How did that affect your service the first time? So even before I joined, I had 
friends who were of the LGBT community that served in the military. And I heard the struggles that they had and the stories they told. And um, it really resonated with me how they had to serve in silence. And I didn't really know what that meant before I went in, except, you know, they gave me the warnings. Pretend that you're straight. Pretend that you're interested in in males. Uh, Don't ever let on that you've ever, you know, that you're even a part of the LGBT community. Uh, Keep that separate, you know, uh, hide that part of you. That whole attraction. That whole attraction. And, And it even came to, you know, now that you're in, find somebody to be like a fake boyfriend to put on the facade. Um, so you're, you know, cause in the military, at least when I first joined being a female, you're a target, but when you're a gay female, you're the biggest target. Uh, but targets for different reasons, tar- targets for different reasons. But you know, the male macho, right. you know, I'm going to turn you and I'm going to teach you a lesson right. and punishment, punishment. Right. So punishment, humiliation. Uh, right. And I knew going in that MST and rape was a real thing because uh, a lot of my friends, if all my friends had experienced it at some point. But, you know, I was a tough girl, and I was like, oh, you know, it's not going to happen to me. I won't let it. Uh, it's going to be a good fight if they try. Um, but it, it really it really was a shocker when I went in how bad it really was. And how tough I, it really and was. And how tough it really was. So you had to develop all of these skills, I guess, uh, the fake boyfriend, um, pretending that the rest of it, what was really inside of you didn't exist. I mean, uh, that, right. uh, but you had to do that on your own. You weren't, uh, your friends didn't tell you how to do this before. They just mentioned that you would have to do this. Right, correct. So you're really, you're, you're cutting some pretty dangerous water right here. You are, yes. <laughs> and it's like living two separate and lives. And water, yeah. Yes. Well, it's not like, it is leading two separate lives. Yes, and, uh, you know, people don't realize that the partner you have back home in the civilian life suffers and if you have children, oh. they suffer because you have to pretend like they don't even exist. They can't even be a part of your military career. And, and is male red? And uh, yes. yes, male is red. Male is Pictures red. are taken. Right. Yes, everything, uh, especially when you're in training, is analyzed. And watched over. Yes, and it always uh, seemed like they were always hunting or trying to pick out the people who might be suspect. a suspect yeah. of the LGBT community. You know what I mean? Well, and that intensely. Let's let's just go back to what you, you mentioned at home. Did you have a partner at home when you entered the military the I first did. time? You did? Yes. And the children? I did not have children at that point, but, but I did have a partner. Wow. Yeah. So that's interesting that you would bring up the, the military family, right. the person at home, because we always think of the veteran and that, or the soldier, and that's you. So the person at home is... is um, is suffering too, or, or at least much. got to be aware for you, be afraid for you for a different reason. Yes. And, and they're aware that, you know, when you're deployed, you have to worry about the enemy, but you also have to look over your other shoulder for your own male comrades who are right. supposed to be on your side. And, yeah, and I've heard that some say that you have to look more over your shoulder for that than you do for the, for the other, yes. for the enemy. Unfo- yes. So, so now would, would your partner, does she have a name that we can, would, would your partner, uh, at the time, was she helping you to develop these strategies or, or helping you to hide the whole thing? Uh, um, yes, she was actually the one who taught me her strategies of how to survive. I guess I should have probably taken better notes and maybe listened a little bit better, wow. considering the outcome that I first experienced. So tell us how that outcome comes about. 
Uh, so I started out in the National Guard, and after my OCS packet had uh, failed because of my unit, after phase two of OCS, I decided to transfer to the reserves. And even during my few years with the National Guard, uh, you know, I endured having to hide who I was and having to brush off any sexual harassment so nobody could find out about me or find out that I had, you know, LGBT friends and family members. Uh, It wasn't just the soldier, but you weren't allowed to know anybody or be friends with anybody in that uh, environment. That's got to be really slippery. I mean, one slip and you're in trouble. One mistake and you're in trouble. I mean, it's got to be almost um, the vigilance has to be painful. It it was. Exhausting. Even if, you know, a male soldier like I experienced early on in my National Guard career uh, makes a pass at you and you turn them down, they all of a sudden want to deem you as gay and make you a target. Because of their ego is damaged. Correct. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So I thought, you know, maybe the water was bluer and the grass was greener if I transferred. So after a few years of the National Guard, I transferred to a reserve unit in Illinois, in Darien, Illinois. And it turned out to be a more toxic environment than what I was experiencing here in the National Guard in Wisconsin. Correct. So uh, the facade of who I was and who I was friends with and what the community I was a part of, I had to continue hiding that and pretending. I can't, I can't even imagine that, the, the difficulty. But yet you're still wanting to have the honor of being a soldier. You're an American soldier. I mean, right. there's still got to be that, that thing that I'm a soldier. I'm in the military. I want to wear this uniform with pride. I mean, there has to be an enormous conflict there. Uh, there is a conflict. And... I think the biggest conflict is under trying to understand why there even is a conflict yeah. because having to look over my shoulder and worry about my own male comrades shouldn't even be a concept. It, should it shouldn't be. even be a worry. Yeah. They're supposed to have my back, not want something else from me. Whether, you know what I mean? Sure. Oh, absolutely. So it was hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that even if I was here in the States training, that I still had to fear for my safety and I still had to look over my shoulder while training. Well, there's got to be a certain amount of fury or rage about that or anger about that or disappointment. Or, there you know, is. Here I enter the service. I want to serve my country. I want all the things that these other people receive by being a soldier, and, and this is the result. It's almost like a 24-hour-a-day, full-time, hide-who-I-am thing. Yes, and it, it was. It was exhausting. It was the most exhausting thing I think I've ever had to do. Wow. And I think for well, – I can't speak for other female soldiers, and but for me – even for my female soldiers I served with who weren't of the LGBT community, they were exhausted and they wanted to serve their country and do the best they could, and they wanted to move up the ranks in honor like everyone else. And they had to just chalk up the fact that rape or being assaulted is just an expected part of the job when you and wear the uniform. Really? It's an expected part of the job, right. and there won't be any resolution if it happens in your favor or, or right. anywhere to take this, you, you've really, you've disarmed yourself yes. in, in a way. And you just accept the fact. And in my first career, it was looked down upon to report it and very little, if anything happened. And the fact that you did attempt to report it, there was retaliation. In what regard? Uh, the soldiers would find out that you turned them in. 
uh, your higher ups. Uh, I remember, you know, the paperwork involved and trying to prove it. Nobody wanted to deal with it. So they just, you know, they would slap the soldier on the hand at most and make you all go on your merry way, pretend it never happened. Right. Um, Don, would this be a good time before we started recording we were talking about this and you had you had worked yourself up to the rank of second lieutenant is this a good time to speak about how that progressed and how that was taken when the don't ask don't tell became an issue yes um that's actually a big part of i guess my story is after i transferred to the army reserves i did a deployment right away in 05 and when I got back uh, the whole reason I went to the army reserve was to get a direct commission and I was working towards that direct commission and tell our audience a direct commission what does that mean a direct commission means you become an officer as long as you qualify without having to go through OCS um, or uh, you know other schools so this is quite a quite a a, a jump in status in the military to become an it's officer huge. is, it, it is, it is huge. huge it's huge in many ways uh, right correct you have to score high enough on the ASVAB you have to have a college degree you have to have uh, signatures written off it is a huge deal well and the huger part that I remember people are going to salute you. Right. <laughs> I mean, you're walking around, all of a sudden the, the tables are turned and you're an officer, which gives you a much more uh, a higher authority, much higher respect. You get to go to the officer's club. Right. <laughs> I mean, all of these other things. So this is prestigious. This is this is a legitimate, I shouldn't say prestigious, this is a le- legitimate goal to be very proud of, to be very excited about. Yes, and it was part of my military career and my plan of what I wanted to do. I knew that just having uh, the officer status would help me to be a good leader and show a, what a good leader is and actually, I guess, improve the military Achieve. In, in my yes. little area at oh, least. Yeah. After I got commissioned, uh, two weeks later, I had to go get a signature from my commander. Now, this is the same commander who propositioned me not that long ago, and I turned him down. And when I went to go get my signature to go to a school called Bullock, and it's required for officers, uh, officer basic training, uh, he stated to me that he can't sign off and that I'm under investigation, but he can't tell me why. Now, you can imagine, you can't even imagine my face when I was told this because I was an outstanding soldier, uh, an amazing human being. I... Uh, everything I do, I do to help other human beings and heal. And it just, I, w- I never did anything illegal. I was like under investigation. A dedicated like, soldier. A dedicated yeah. soldier, or is what we like to call high speed. <laughs> oh, oh no, I didn't high hear speed. that one. Was yes. high, high speed. High speed. And I was floored. My, my dream was crushed all in that one office. Well, there must have been an element of fear. Of, uh, uh, there's an element of fear, like, okay, so I'm being about? accused of an investigation or something, cr- like, bad, yeah. and I know I'm not guilty of it, right. but how did I even get involved and you won't tell me right. anything? Uh, so my career was put on hold almost instantly that day because I wasn't allowed to go to my officer school. I was already commissioned. I was, like, stuck in purgatory and so you're not officially a second I, lieutenant. I wasn't. Um, it's it's 
complicated. Yeah. I was pinned and commissioned, but I had to go through Bullock in order for it to be official. completely mm-hmm. official, right? So continue with the story. But what happens then with this? About a week later, I was called. Now, mind you, I was a reservist, so it's supposed to be one week in a month, two weeks a year, even though I was gone all the time. I was actually put on orders to come report to my unit outside of my normal drill days. And uh, when I was there, they actually, right off the bat, started treating me like a criminal. And didn't, I had no idea what I was there for. I had no idea what the issue was. And they had two soldiers in the room that I you know, had never met before standing by as, quote, witnesses. And my same commanding officer uh, told me that I was under investigation for homosexuality. Are there any female officers with you? In, in that room there? There was one female NCO, non-commissioned officer, and one male non-commissioned officer. Uh, I don't know who they were, but they were just standing by with fear on their face. They probably weren't even sure why they were there. And my commander looked at me, even though, and at this point I actually had given birth to my first son. His picture was up on the wall to the right of me, I'll never forget. And my unit even gave me a small baby shower and, like, it, it just it blew my mind. The next thing I know, he says, you're under investigation for homosexuality, Chapter 10, Paragraph 175, don't ask, don't tell, attempting to marry someone of the same sex. And I, my, I started sweating. Like, what? where did this come from? What are you talking about? Like, I'm, I'm friends with all the soldiers. Like, I have a great rapport with everyone. How did this come about? Who, you know, so, and so the next thing I know is he had my officer packet that needed the signature so I could go to Bullock. And by law, he's supposed to return that to me. And instead, there was a wastebasket right next to his desk. And he lifted it up shoulder high and then he dropped it and said, We're going to forget that you ever got commissioned and this ever happened. And now you're going to walk out of the room and we'll call you back when we need you when we find out what's going on. And there'll be a JAG representative that will contact you. A JAG representative is a lawyer. Correct. Military, military lawyer, yes. yes. Um, and it it was this, my heart wrenched. Like, I think what went through me the most was I went through so much hell for the Army. I experienced so much trauma already. So I could have this career that I worked my ass off for for it to just be tossed into a trash can. you know, Literally. Literally. Tossed into, tossed a, trash. into a trash can. Um, and I was young at the time. I didn't realize that my commander's actions, uh, you know, were against like UCMJ. He wasn't allowed to just throw my packet away and try to erase it from my records, which he didn't fully erase. It's still there. But, you know, he did. He did what he could in his power. Um I mean, it just it sounds to me like just a self-motivated thing that this guy was doing because you, you, I've never known an officer who, without any kind of, even in Article 15, you go before a board. I mean, you, right. you go before somebody else. There's no one officer who ever makes a rule, and they certainly don't ever do a military uh, right. event like that where they throw something in the basket in front of you. I mean, right. this this is just, this right. whole thing is weird. And it actually gets, I mean, I can kind of laugh about it now but I was in turmoil for a good 13 years. Um, but going back to what wait, you're wait, saying. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I'm sorry, Todd. 
you can laugh about it now, but you couldn't for how long? 13 years. 13 years. Yeah. That's a lot of punishment for this jerk to put you through. Yes. And going back to what you said, so the actual allegations came from my boss of my civilian job. I worked for uh, federal government in Indiana, and my civilian job, uh, my boss was a retired uh, tank officer. Commander. Yes. And obviously he was a stereotypical uh, military guy. Very arrogant. Homophobic. Homophobic. Uh, You know, he also propositioned me in my work, and I turned him down. He also was married, all this. Um, And it turns out that he was the one who turned me into my military. military. And they really didn't have any proof. They had a picture of me, which I've posted on social media before, so it's not like my story's a secret because, you know, I want my story to get out. I want it to help somebody else. Um, but, but, but no, wait, wait, let's be clear because you say your picture is there. I've seen that picture. It looks like two sisters. Right, each other. right. <laughs> I so. mean, it looks like your sister, uh, you know, if anybody saw that, we would have said these are just two good friends that are. Right. And really, it was just one of my friends I played rugby with, and I had my arm around her after a match that we had played. And you know what I mean? Uh, but because she had posted that on her social media and she's openly out, yeah. she was in the civilian world, not a care in the world. Uh, they were able to, quote, pin that on me. So, um, but, so if we go back and look at this whole thing, this whole from your entry into the military, you have been guarding and doing everything possible not to make a slip up anywhere that anybody could find out any of this information. And that intensity of having to... It, it makes me mad. Right. Pretend you weren't some somebody or that you were somebody other than you were. And and just that little slip up after all that time right. is what hung you. Correct. And uh, I, I, mean, had, uh, I had just given birth to my son. Yeah. So, I mean, you can't get more heterosexual acting than that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I did everything. Correct. And but that's the intensity of how, how much people had to be concerned and to cover cover up, I suppose you would say, or hide from it. Right. You know, this this uh, facade that you you were not part of the LBGT community, right? And and as you said before, twenty four hours a day trying to hide this, live something that you're not, and that one slip up, a picture that was coming from somewhere, somewhere else yes. by a former employee who wasn't even in the military. He was right. never challenged. He never had to prove it. Right. My goodness. Yes, and I think the worst part of my story is not only, I mean. So, like you had talked before, I was supposed to go to a board. I had a JAG representative, and she wasn't very helpful. She wasn't supportive of me. I reached out to different organizations uh, like Soldiers uh, Legal Defense Network. I reached out to a place called Lambda Legal. I reached out to Human uh, Rights. I reached out to any LGBT in existence out there to get any kind of help. And... It turned out that the JAG representative that I was assigned, uh, she had actually gone to JAG school with my unit's JAG officer. And she was kind of on board with the JAG representative for my unit that homosexuals shouldn't be in the military. And I said, you're supposed to be on my side and protect me and help me. Um, so I had to go through this whole thing where I got reassigned a new JAG representative, which happened to be her boss. And he wasn't much help either. 
And basically, after he spoke with my unit's JAG representative, he came back and said, you can go to board because that's your right. But if you go to board and you probably will win, they're going to give you less than honorable discharge. If you just if don't you win, if I win, if I don't go to board and I just walk away quietly, they'll give me an honorable discharge. Now, you got to understand, I'm terrified. I'm terrified. I just lost my military career for something stupid. I just had a baby who's a newborn. I'm by myself right now. Uh, you know, you hear the stories of you get discharged un, uh, dishonorably. You can't get a job at McDonald's. Uh, how am I going to survive? How am I going to take care of my kid? Uh, how embarrassing I have to tell people I'm no longer in my career that I loved for the rest of your life, the rest of my life. Right. That will be that way. Right. And I, you know, again, I had no direction. I had no parents. I didn't have really anybody I could turn to nobody who I could talk to about this and who would understand. So naturally I said, okay, then give me the honorable and I won't go to board and I'll just walk away. Little did I know that probably is not what I should have done. Well, but let's go back the way. In retrospect, what could you have done? I mean, if you're looking at, and in retrospect, if you go back to these JAG officers, they have to be defending the military. They're not defending you. And even if they're coming and saying, okay, we're going to represent you, they're going to do that on behalf of the people that want you out. Right. So, I mean, in retrospect, did you ever see or feel that they were ever really on your side and trying to help you? Never. And was there a possibility that you could have gotten a civilian lawyer? Uh, it's actually funny that you asked that. I don't want to be funny. I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I will let you know I did look into civilian lawyers, which Lambda Legal is a LGBT um, firm that actually helps uh, with with people in the community. Uh, and they did help a little, but not in, to any extent that I needed. The problem with finding a civilian lawyer is they're not trained on the UCMJ, the Uniform Code of Military Justice. It's completely separate uh, from the laws that we know. And I actually have a friend who is a Vietnam veteran who is a law professor at Purdue. He was in Vietnam, and when he got back, he went to a protest at Washington just to see what it was all about. And because he was at the protest, they kicked him out of the military and stripped him of his clearance. And then he became a lawyer. And And he's got great stories. I reached out to him because I knew he would understand. And he's all about knowing how the Army is so quick to screw you over. And he did what he could to help me out. But he even said that, UCMJ he's not familiar with anymore and it's changed so much and especially regarding your situation my that, situation that right particular topic yeah right uh so he was probably the closest thing I had to any support for this and he eventually said you know I can't help you anymore because I have no legal authority to get involved because I'm on the civilian side of the law and they're in the military um so I did I did seek out civilian legal in any way I could. Uh, and part of my story is, so after my military discharge for Don't Ask, Don't Tell, I worked for a government agency that, I don't know if I should say it, but anyway, it was my dream job. And my civilian boss is the one who turned me in. Well, all of a sudden, my civilian job with the federal government was being threatened. And it was because... I was discharged for homosexuality from the military. 
that they're now trying to fire me for being homosexual at my federal job, which, by the way, is against the law. So they found other ways to try to, to get around that. And one of them was my civilian clearance came up for renewal, and they claimed that I was denied. Civilian clearance? My, my severe, yes, security for, clearance. Security yeah. clearance, right. correct, was denied. And I know that wasn't possible because I've already had one for so many years for civilian and military, and nothing has changed in my life. I knew it was just a cover-up for them to want to fire me because now they know I'm gay. Um, and now not only did I lose my military career, now I'm facing losing my civilian career. And I was so alone. I don't ever want to feel that alone again. And now here I am fighting to save my civilian career that I also worked so hard for. Uh, long story short, I actually reached out to um, a civilian law firm out in Washington, D.C., Employment Law Group. They actually took on my case, and they did it pro bono, even though at the end they ended up taking all the money they won, and they ended up suing the federal government and the fiduciary and Crown Point, Indiana, and um, they they won the case. So you won the case. I won the yes. case. So although I didn't get my job back, I was able to get my security clearance back and prove that they lied about my denial. Why not the job? Why couldn't you get the job back? That's a good question. I was a kid, and I didn't realize that I could fight to try and get – I was so exhausted, literally, oh like – the, the amounts of paperwork that go involved in a court case, people don't understand unless you're in a court case. I worked for their U.S. government at one time. I know, <laughs> and I know how fast your, your papers can go to the bottom oh of the pile, gosh. too. The amount of paperwork I had to submit, find, authorize, duplicate, uh, uh, just the, <laughs> yeah. the, the multiple phone calls, fax, everything. Um, it, was, it was an experience I could talk about all in one podcast. We're speaking with Dawn Strobel, who is uh, taking us through a, a really heartbreaking story uh, of just a determined uh, woman who wanted to be a, an, an American soldier and had been working up the ranks and because of Don't Ask, Don't Tell was let go first from the military uh, with an honorable discharge and then let go in her federal job, which was the, the job of her dreams. Uh, when uh, I guess I don't understand the part, if you've got the honorable discharge, why would anybody look any further? So now they want to take away your civilian license, which they've done, taken away your, your civilian clearance. And so now, where are you? Just a little puddle on the sidewalk? I mean, an emotional... I, I was very emotional. I was lost. In fact, I don't even think I was alive at that point. Emotionally. I, emotionally, uh, I don't even know how my heart continued to pound. I was facing being homeless with my son. I was afraid to tell my family that I lost my military career because of being gay or having a gay friend. Uh, I didn't want the shame, the amount of shame. I'm, I can tell you that if I didn't have my son, I probably would have committed suicide. I contemplated it every day, all day, all the time. Yes. But because I knew I had my son, I couldn't. Thank God for your son. Yeah. No. If I were to say this, because would that emotional burden of depression or or oppression, did it actually, was it so tough that it was actually a physical thing? Uh, And and not just an emotional thing, but it gets to be like a physical burden? 
oh, it's a physical burden. Uh, I didn't want to eat. I didn't couldn't sleep. sleep. I didn't want to love. I didn't want to be around people. Emotionally shut down. I was emotionally shut down. I was, you know, I had no desire to parent my my baby. Um, I just, to me, my entire future was gone. I would never get another job. How how could I? How would I explain why I lost my civilian job? How do I explain I lost my mil- military job? And when they find out that it's because both of them, because I'm gay, they're going to judge me right there and not give me the job. Well, so and, I'm screwed. Yeah, not, <laughs> well, not only that, uh, I mean, those are your words. Uh, but if, if we were to look at it further, it's not something you can change that it's going to be different. I mean, it's not like you're going to say, okay, well, I'm not going right. to be gay tomorrow. So this all changes and I'm going to get a job and, and I won't be gay anymore. It doesn't work that way. I mean, this, right. is, this is who you are and looking at the future this struggle is going to be everywhere and always and oppressive and, and, and heartbreaking and painful. Right. Yes. And, you know, as my court case on that (laughs) came to a wrap, it essentially came out that because I didn't disclose on my military paperwork that I was gay, even though I didn't need to, um, that, that shows my character's dishonest. So that's how they could deny me my civilian security clearance because of the dishonesty and one of the only beautiful things that came out of this all this was that the lawyers were able to get it changed in legislation that anyone going to get a security clearance if they don't disclose their sexual orientation cannot be denied one for it say that one more say that one more time yeah so if you're going for security, clearance. you're going for security clearance and you don't disclose that you're homosexual or bisexual or any part of the LGBT community that they can't hold that against you and deny you security clearance, yes. that it's just not a factor anymore. It shouldn't even be a question, though. To right. Me. I mean, that, right. I mean, to me, that that is just in, as we spoke about earlier, Don, right. it's just an invasion of the sanctity of your soul that this right. even has to be an issue. That's nobody's business. Right. Uh, and it's it's no reflection of the judge of your character at all. Well, your abilities right. uh, as a soldier, a soldier, or, or, or a civilian, security, a clearance, security, uh, right. a mother, of, uh, <laughs> none, right. of, none of these things. So so now you you're at this point of despair suicidal and and i i think you mentioned that that was pervasive for a while and here you are a mother if it hadn't been for your your child you may have taken your own life but now there's a there's a good part that's coming up now some uh, how do you get back to where you are now you've mentioned your first career now right. we're in your second career and it's back in the military i mean right. that has got to be the biggest twiddling of your fingers at the at at this whole thing, but what a struggle. Yes. What an um, indomitable spirit you must have to get you back to that point that I'm not done with this. Right. Um, I can't even, there's no words to express how I was feeling inside. And to be honest, for 13 years after my discharge, I had fought to get back in in any way I could. And so once Don't Ask, Don't Tell was overturned, and you are allowed to openly be LGBT in the military. I started seeking out actual recruiters, any recruiter who would listen to me, any recruiter who was willing to take me on to try to get me back in. Uh, and I actually discovered a lot of difficulties doing that. Um, it probably took around eight recruiters 
from for five different states. Uh, you know, I, I faced the fact that when they would find out that I was discharged under Don't Ask, Don't Tell for homosexuality, if they had a biased opinion that they don't think women or LGBT should be allowed in the military, they said they wouldn't help me. They can't help me. Sorry. I, you know, you shouldn't be in the military. You got kicked out for a reason, even though it was no longer a law. Uh, I also found out when I went through other recruiters that the amount of paperwork and the difficulty of getting me back in was beyond their training and capabilities, and it wasn't worth their time. I also came across a lot of recruiters who, so once Chapter 10, Paragraph 175, Don't Ask, Don't Tell no longer existed, uh, they actually made that chapter uh, to cover alcohol and drug rehab failure. So when a recruiter would look up my discharge and see what I was discharged for, it actually showed not don't ask, don't tell anymore because it didn't exist. It showed a drug and alcohol rehab failure. And so now I'm here explaining to them that was never me. I never had a drug and alcohol problem, nor have I ever been to rehab, nor have I ever failed rehab, but that it's been changed to that. And can you now look the year of my discharge and the chapter 10 as it was, and, then. And see it was then. And, um, you know, a lot of them were like, oh, I just don't believe you. And then just dismiss me. I can't tell you how many recruiters I went through. And finally, I, I did go to one. He started my paperwork and he was down in Texas and I was in Wisconsin. And he said, I, you know, I've been going at this for a couple months and I'm not getting anywhere. I'm sorry, I can't help you. It wasn't until I actually helped another soldier get in. I helped her with the ASVAB study in, and I helped her um, start her career in the Army, that I met two soldiers in this office in Downers Grove, Illinois, who said, I can't believe that's your story and that happened to you. And they looked up my records, <clears throat> and they saw that it was for Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And the one soldier, he said, I'm determined to get you in. I don't care how. I'm going to do it. And... After three years of him finding loophole after loophole, fighting higher up, higher up, he finally got me in. Back into the military. Back into the military. Let me just stop for a second, Don. I want to go back and just ask you about this. So now they, they've removed don't ask, don't tell. So if you are openly openly gay, as you say, you should have no difficulty getting into the military. But because you were released under the old law of don't ask, don't tell, did that make it more difficult, even though it shouldn't? Right to get back in because you had been released on it. Right, yes. So you have two different categories. You have a person who's been released on Don't Ask, Don't Tell, who's now eligible because right. that does that law doesn't exist, that rule doesn't exist. Right. But it sounds like there that, that it, it was still more difficult because you had been released on that. But it also sounds like all of these guys who are the, uh, the recruiters are making their own opinions on this. Correct. I faced discrimination, discrimination. just trying to get back in. Yeah. Uh, but it did make it extremely difficult. I mean, you got to understand, so my paperwork says I'm discharged under a law that doesn't exist. It's as if I was never discharged. What do you do with that? Where do you start? Okay, let's start with your eligibility. And now that it took me 13 years of fighting, now I'm 13 years older, which means there's an age restriction, and you have to get an age waiver. Am I eligible for the age waiver? Are they going to grant me the age waiver? Uh, Who do we have to talk to about getting that granted, um, all the, all these different factors. And now I'm a single mom. I mean, that's a factor. Um, just everything. It was, it was very difficult. 
I commend that recruiter, and I wish I could reward him. But I, but I commend you because if we go back and just listen to you five minutes ago, you're doing this when you're down and out. You're right. doing this when you've been released from from two different uh, employments, the military right. and your federal job, and you are you have been suicidal thinking, but didn't because of your your child. Right. And now you're still fighting under those circumstances when you're down and getting to the point where somebody's helping. Is there a light there that you're seeing that's restoring, taking away the depression or or taking um, away the adding to something right. positive, something hopeful? Uh, because you're still fighting this. <laughs> right. So during my 13 years of fighting it, uh, you know, I, I battled depression and anger and bitterness and uh, it was hard for me not to be anti-American flag, and I didn't want to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance or our national anthem anymore. Like I didn't relate to anyone in the military. I didn't relate to veterans. I didn't even relate to my other LGBT veteran friends because they never got kicked out for it, and I did. Uh, so I was a very angry individual. I was very, uh, I retreated back into myself, and... I had to put on this facade for so many years that I loved life and everyone in it. Yeah, and the military and yes. patriotism and honor. And, yeah. and and what I get from you is what, what pushed me to keep doing that. So I will tell you there's a lot of little details and tidbits that I didn't go off on regarding my whole situation. But I can vividly remember and I was haunted by my commanding officer telling me, because I didn't sleep with him and because they can kind of prove that I have a homosexual friend, that he's going to make sure my paperwork says that I can never enlist again. They were going to code it at the bottom somehow so I can never get back in. And it was this determining, this flame inside me every day that I was going to prove him wrong. Wow. That was, so that was the inspiration. That was my inspiration for all 13 years. Wow. Because to me... Well, I'm sure there were other things, but that was yes. a primary inspiration just to get back. Yes. And so the day I swore in, which was March 10th, 2020, uh, the victory... There, There's many people talk about victory all the time in their own way. But that day was my victory. So everything I went through, even from my first day of enlistment and all the trauma I experienced, I finally saw my victory that moment. And my commanding officer was wrong. A lot of people were wrong. A lot of people were wrong. A lot of people but were wrong. Yes. But, and I know we're coming to, to we, we have like 10 minutes left, and I just want to give you that opportunity to spread some hope, spread the, the joy, spread the, the fight. But I do want to ask you this, and, and I, ho- I hope you'll take it the, the way it, it's meant. There must be an enormous amount of freedom to now just openly be able to say, you know, I'm gay, and <laughs> if you don't like it, I mean, you don't have to put the facade on to hide something. That's you. You can be you now. Uh, and, I, you know, I think we spoke about this before we started uh, the podcast. That ability to be who you are and to love is so important. I, even though, you know, I'm not part of the LGBT community. When I went into the military, I was doing everything for them too, for my parents, for my family, for the patriotism, for the honor, because I'm supposed to be this. The world tells me to be this. Manhood tells me to be this. I'm doing my whole life is based on what people are telling me to do. And there's no greater freedom when that falls apart than having the indomitable spirit as you have to just 
go back and find you and now look at the world through the world the way you want to see it. Is, is that fair to say? Uh, that is very fair to say. And I call my second career um, the new army. <laughs> Because My it army. Is the new army, <laughs> right? I mean, besides their SHARP program and the fact that they, you know, celebrate and protect their LGBT soldiers, um, I'm really grateful for my brothers and sisters in arms now who don't have to go through such turmoil. I mean, you always have uh, some aspect of judgment Always and being a targeted, to. but. Uh, you know, I want to leave the podcast letting people know who did serve before Don't Ask, Don't Tell, during Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and even now who feel trapped about not being who they are and not feeling free to express who they are and be their true self. Uh, there's other people out there like it, and we're here to, you know, help you and support you, and we understand what you're going through and what your partners are going through because they're going through the same hell you are and not being able to be a human being and matter because they have to be hidden. And be real, be you. Be real, be, right. Be you in front of the world. Right. They can't stand up and say, I'm proud of my partner who's a soldier. Yes. Because they give you away then. Yeah. I know what that was like, and it's horrible. Well, and to serve your country now, you can do this, and you are back in the military uh, for, for your, second, your, your second term. So you've won right. that, and you, you've expressed that. But now that freedom... Has this helped you to alleviate that experience before, at least to resolve it enough that you're not haunted by it? That um, you know, right. you mentioned the anger and all of that. Has, has this so the best way to I heal can it just, a little bit? Right, or? right. Um, I guess I can say that I'm not as angry, but the best way I can describe it is I was holding my breath for 13 years, and now I can breathe again. So my body is exhausted, my mind's exhausted, my heart's exhausted, spiritually I'm exhausted, um, but I saw victory at the end. You have a partner who loves you. I've met your son, he was here last time, he yes. loves you, he loved me. I mean, yes. <laughs> I, I mean, so you have some love going on around you, yes. uh, which is very powerful. I mean, that, that whole thing of openly being able to love, uh, I, I, I'm just so happy for you, uh, just in that regard. But talk about uh, respect for you, for the, the, the determination. Yes, and, you know, it's still part of me. I'm still suffering. I mean, for all those years, I was financially struggling. Um, I had lost everything I owned. I had just bought a house that I lost. Um, it was very difficult for me to find a job because how do I tell them I don't, you know, why did I leave the federal government? They're going to find out that I got fired for being gay. Uh, my military career, why did it all of a sudden come to a halt and I didn't get to, quote, finish my contract? Um, and they were going to find out. So I lived in this torment of struggles, all kinds of struggles, every kind of struggle you can imagine. But not just struggles, but the fear that somebody's going to find out. Right. And, and But find out something, there's nothing wrong with, that, with, with what they're going to find, but they're, they've right. th that the world has made this you know, something that I'm going to be punished for, I, that's right. got to be just an extraordinary burden. And constantly find, having to find out, I don't want anybody to find this out. Right. That's a whole 24-hour job in itself. Right. I just, you know, I was, I feared that I would bring dishonor to my family. Uh, what would my friends think? Um, 
what would you what would your children think when they, when they right. grow up all of that yes. so so now today is there some place that somebody experiencing what your experience could call somebody would they would connect uh, somebody that would get a, a common experience voice a little bit of hope uh, that you're familiar with um, yes, uh, I know before COVID that the VA did have an LGBT group that would meet once a week. Uh, but outside of that, uh, there's also here in Milwaukee and Houston, Texas, the Healing Warrior Hearts weekends. We actually dedicate uh, one weekend to LGBT people who served. Uh, and also I serve on two other boards that are LGBT friendly in the Milwaukee area. I encourage you to uh Come join us. Come talk to us. Come introduce yourselves. And what about uh, so Veterans for Diversity is right. one of them. Yeah, if we could name a, a few of like like Ellen's group uh, is that Veterans for Diversity. I think that's what it used to be. Yes, check it up. <laughs> check it up quick. If not, the, th- this is going to be on our website. So we'll post this. And I know uh, Ellen had to change the name of the group to. Right. It's uh, No Veteran Left Behind, no veteran The Journey behind. Home. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, you know, run by and 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 it, it also is here to support the LGBT soldiers who served and are still serving and who might consider serving in the future. But also might consider, consider just being happy in life yes. every day and, uh, and yes. not having to hide or be afraid to... It's, it's what we call bringing joy back into your life because yes. everyone deserves it. A- absolutely. And and nobody's qualified to judge another person. And, and I, I think that burden has got to be so extraordinary. I understand it only as being a guy in the military because we are supposed to uphold our responsibility as men and soldiers and all that. Based on what somebody else is telling us, we have to uphold what they want me to be. Right. Catholic Church wanted me to be what they wanted me to be. Right. My parents wanted me to be what... They wanted me to be. Now you have the ability to be what you want to be. Yes. And I I know, like, again, uh, there's small aspects of my story that I didn't share. Like another, the first time I went into my commanding officer's office and he told me I was under investigation uh, for don't ask, don't tell homosexuality. He told me, uh, you have 24 hours to have a male come forward and prove your your sexual orientation to me. And if you don't have one, you have 24 hours to make one. Yes. Wow. So put that that in military. I mean, really just right. So essentially he told me to go sleep with a male who's willing to come forward (laughs) and say that he slept with me. So they know that I'm straight Wow. since I wouldn't sleep with him. Right. What an incredible story. Well, you mentioned some of the things that you haven't mentioned that, well, you're going to get a chance because we spoke. You'll be coming back to speak to us more. And hopefully, I think you had even mentioned, if you don't mind me mentioning, uh, a military sexual trauma. Uh, we'd love to have you come back and speak about that because I know that's a huge problem. And, and what I really would like to add, and we spoke about this before, this wasn't just about women in the military. It's a huge issue for, for men in the military as well. Yes. Uh, that harassment for or belonging to the LGBT community. So if you would like to come back, we'd certainly love to have you come back and talk about all this. Uh, I would love to. I'd I be thank honored. thank you for doing this. And I know you were nervous uh, before this, that this would be your first podcast. Would you do well? Let me, let me congratulate yeah. you on, on doing a wonderful, wonderful job. But uh, Dawn Strobel has been our guest. You're still in the military. Uh, tell us one more time. Give us a couple places don't, uh, that, that uh, those who would like to connect with uh, the LGBT community regarding the military or not regarding the military, 
would be Ellen's group, which is uh, No Veteran Left Behind. That, that would certainly be something you can find on Facebook. Correct. And then what was... Uh, um, um, There's uh, Veterans for Diversity. Veterans for Diversity. You can find them on Facebook, Facebook. as well as Starfish Foundation, Healing Warrior Hearts. Right, Healing Warrior Hearts. Which I, I can't speak even enough about, about because yes. the only thing that kept me from committing suicide was my weekend at Healing Warrior Hearts. And this would be Patricia Clayson's group. Correct. Yes. So, Amazing human being. Yes, she is. And these are, are going to be on our website. Orban Foundation for Veterans will be posted um, before your, your podcast is live. So those things will be there. I also wanted to add to what we were in, uh, add on to what we were talking about. I know for some people who served that it's hard for them to reach out to an organization and they have fears of big crowds and groups and lots of people knowing their story. Uh, you know, a lot of people uh, have anxiety issues. I also wanted to add that I'm also a resource. They're welcome to reach out to you here at the studio and get my information and use me as well for support and talking in any way that they need. Wow. We appreciate that, Dawn. That's wonderful. And, and uh, the more we can do that, the more we can give somebody hope. Uh, that That's really one of the most important parts of the podcast that we're doing. So thank you for that as well. But I just want to reach out and thank you so much for sharing this because I know anybody who hasn't found that happiness in their, themselves, that internal happiness is struggling. And thank you for coming on to, uh, to share your story with us. And yes, you are welcome back. Thank you. Thank you, Don Strobel. Thanks. So we want to thank you for joining us today. And your comments are not only important, but they're very welcome to help us improve our program. And you will find more resources on our website at uh, orbanfoundationforveterans.org or just the letters OF, the number four, and the word VETS, V-E-T-S dot org. And if you are looking for an immediate conversation with a real human being, uh, please keep in mind that the Veterans Crisis Line is there, and that telephone number is 1-800-273-8255, and then press the number 1. And they've got the text number, 838-255-CHAT, to send that to chat. And don't hesitate to call. You'll be very, very glad that you did. And I want to thank uh, our uh, engineer for today is uh, Kerry Wheaton. And the Stigma Free Vet Zone is brought to you in part through a grant from the generous people at the Charles E. Kubley Foundation. And for many of you who have suffered suicidal thinking, you know that uh, depression, which can be very, very painful, can be a long time lead up to those thoughts of suicide. So uh, go check out the Charles E. Kubley Foundation. That is our expertise in Wisconsin is suicide and depression. And uh, you will find more information on them at Charles E. Kubley Foundation. Org. Uh, today's engineer again is Kerry Wheaton, and for co-host Aaron Schroffnagel and Bob Bach, I am Mike Orban. And remember, this is educational, not stigmatizing. Thank you for listening to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. While you're there, please consider making a contribution. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, and resolution on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Anyone who donates to the podcast will receive a free copy of the book, Sold Out, 
Conquering the Experiences of War by Michael Orban. On behalf of Michael Orban, Bob Bach, and Aaron Schraufnagel, thanks for joining us, and please tune in again.